So I might have got a little early on the slide here, but you can see where we're starting. We're in Matthew chapter 5. And the first thing before we read the first uh, 12 verses of Matthew chapter 5, I want us to look at what is a beatitude. Does anyone have an idea of what a beatitude is? It's, yes, Matt. You know what? As a kid, the shorthand answer was, it's a beautiful attitude. Right, and that, that's what I—that's what I heard too. It's a beautiful attitude, right? Yeah, yeah. Anybody have anything else? Yes. It's a—it's blessing or happiness, right? So let me let's see. Let me see if I can give you the right thing here. So the word beatitude comes from a Latin word which looks like beatitudo. I, I'm sure I'm not saying that right. My Latin teacher would probably be mad at me, but that means blessedness, right? So each of these are a state of blessing from God. So that's the idea. And they, they do represent beautiful characteristics, right? Beatitude, it's also defined as a supreme blessedness, supreme happiness, joyful and divine rapture. So on some of these, this may sound backward or upside down to us, uh, but these things, these characteristics or attitudes are to bring great joy in our lives and also realize that these these build upon one another we start with the first one and then they all build uh, each beatitude is kind of built on the ones that precede it so let's look at matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12. and seeing the multitudes he went up on a mountain and when he was seated his disciples came to him then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. <coughs> Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So first, before we look at our, our question here for this, who is, when we look at verse 1, who is the multitude? Who is Jesus' audience? All these crowds that have Right, the crowds, we, we looked at them in the last chapter. This is the crowd of people that came from surrounding areas from all over. They were just normal people like us. They weren't perfect. They weren't sinless. They were people who needed God. Now, there's a mixture of Jews and Gentiles is my understanding. It's not all just Jews or whatever. So, something to be aware of. Yes, Matt? I think there's often uh, some skeptics or, or whatever in Jesus' crowds, but I think most people are interested. They're just there and interested in what he has to say. Right. I believe most of these people have recognized that they do need God and they're interested in what Jesus has to say. Now, 
We do know that the Pharisees, yeah, there were some skeptics around a lot of times when Jesus was talking. Yes, Pat? Yes, Jesus, his fame had gone through those miracles and they were coming out to see him. They were interested in seeing who this was, who seemed to have such power of God. Yes. You wouldn't really go and make that effort to travel back in those days if you weren't really drawn to him. Right, you wouldn't make the effort to travel. Some of them had to travel quite a bit and probably a lot on foot. So a lot of people, like you're saying, would probably not have made the effort if they didn't expect something if they didn't think he was really uh, worth making the effort to go see. They weren't drawn to him. Yes, Jean? Now, a lot of people were brought to him for healing, right? So that's true. And they, they were brought from far distances sometimes. Yes, Pat? I had the opportunity to talk to people that worked in some of the uh, mission work in Africa. And they were saying, Yeah, that is nice. Uh, yeah, there are places in the world today where people still have to walk a lot. Did you have something, Donna? <coughs> Oh, um, I don't, I don't think that's the way this goes. I don't think this is that same. Now it could be, but I don't, I don't think, at least not in Matthew's gospel, it doesn't flow that way. So, um, I don't know that these are the same group of people that are going to get the loaves and the fishes. Um, yes. Yeah, maybe a similar crowd. Um, but at least not the way Matthew's gospel reads, and I don't know that that happens at this, in this case. We, we know it does happen for other crowds, though, right? Um, this, they believe that this occurred. I don't have my map up. Hold on. Let me find the last map. They believe, this is best guesstimate, okay, that this, this occurred up here outside of, what's that town up there? Right, outside of Capernaum, you know, not too far from Capernaum and Galilee, they believe that that occurred up in that area, if I remember right. I think I'm remembering that correctly. But, well, don't hold me to that. I, that's what I was thinking in my mind, because that's where his ministry was, up in Galilee. So I'm pretty sure that's right. They think it's just outside of Capernaum, off of Gal the Sea of Galilee. Yes? Oh, no, that's fine. Yeah. Well, we, we do see that happen a couple of times where there's large crowds and, and Jesus does that miracle and provides for them. So. Well, some of the same people could have been there because. Some of the same people could have been. People that travel from one thing to the other to yes. see what's going on. <coughs> it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So. But anyway, so let's look at our, our question two in the workbook for this chapter. And this, this question is, what do the Beatitudes describe? And this is just another way of defining them, but what does it describe? Or do they describe in general? 
So yes, man. Good attributes of someone who's what God wants. Right. This is characters, you know, the character and blessedness of citizens of the kingdom is the idea, right? In other words, these beatitudes should describe each of us as followers of Christ. We should be able to look at this and see us in these, or see these in us, sorry, backwards, but see uh, see those in us. <clears throat> yes, Pat? It seems like the first part of the sentence is a negative, and then it's a positive, and that's the way we are like it. It, they may sound that way, you know, sound negative and positive, that kind of thing. And and Jesus, what he's about to teach these people in a way is going to sound totally backwards or upside down from what they have known. So in that sense, you're right. It has that sound and that feel to it. And, and he's going to teach them like that. So we want to remember that these characteristics should apply to all of us. Um, and they are not different types of people. They actually represent things that should be in our hearts as Christians. Jesus is really going to be getting at our hearts in all of this. So now, rather than skipping past all this, I want us to look at each beatitude individually. I want to make sure that we understand them. For the most part, I think they're pretty straightforward, but there's some depth to some of them that we can easily miss that I've missed in the past. And I think there's some good things here that we should uh, look at because Jesus is basically saying that we should be this way. So if we start with the first one, what is poor in spirit? Well, what is poor? Yes. Well, I know Luke's version of this says, just says, blessed are the poor. But, uh, so the idea that you aren't rich and you're, you're needing things, recognize your need of God, whether it be financial or just our spirit, we recognize we don't have it all together. We need God. Right. We're realizing that we're needing something. We have a lack, right? And he's saying poor in spirit. We're needing that spirit. We're needing God, basically, is really what we're coming down to. Just like uh, Matt was saying, you know, the word for poor here, it means that we're destitute, that we're basically beggars. We don't have this spirit of God, right? We don't have this. We have this spiritual lack without God. We need him, right? We need God. So, if you really read into it, it's, it's, you know, we're like helpless and hopeless without him. And we just recognize that we need him, his guidance, his morals, his wisdom, his love. We need everything about God. We need him. And there's a certain humility to this, right? And this humility, it underlines the other, um, the other beatitudes because if you look at each one that continue on from here, you can't mourn for your sin if you don't see your sin and your failures in your life, right? If you don't see that, that you can't, you're not doing well in your life without God. If you don't see that, um, if you don't have that humility. So you can't be meek unless you see the need to be gentle and submit to God, right? Yes. Did you have something, Judy? Yeah, I thought it was like uh, thirsting for the Spirit. Well, that's going to be later. That's one of the other Beatitudes. This one, we're, maybe I should just say it this way. This, this Beatitude, we recognize our need for God. 
So it then that drives us, like you're saying, that drives us to thirst and hunger after God. That does. But this this beatitude is more like we just recognize that we need God humbly, you, you know, just with humility, we recognize that we need God. We are poor and destitute without him. See, I'm looking at each one of these one at a time. So we're going to get to that. Um, and you can't hunger and thirst for righteousness if you believe you're already good, right? If you believe you're already perfect, like a lot of them thought Abraham, just being descended from Abraham was going to save them. So they didn't hunger and thirst for righteousness. They just assumed they had it already. You can't be merciful if you don't see your own need for mercy. And this, this all goes back to this poor in spirit and to be humble, to have humility and acknowledge our need for God. Um, you can't be pure of heart if you're full of pride in yourself, right? If you already think you know it all. Uh, you can't be a peacemaker if you think you're always right. And you can't stand for Christ under persecution if you don't put him before yourself. So there's all those things to this humility. And again, this humility, it, it seems kind of backwards or upside down to the way the world thinks. The world thinks we should all be full of pride in ourselves. We should be super confident in ourselves. But humility is really the key ingredient to Christian life from what we see here. So notice the reward the tense used in this reward, well, what is the reward for this? If you think of it in, like, the two parts, the second part being the reward. Yes? Right, the kingdom of heaven, right? If you notice the tense used there, there's is the kingdom of heaven. When you recognize your need to God, and of course we're going to have to go, we're going to have to repent and be baptized, but we're just saying yours is the kingdom of heaven. Now and always. So you are that citizen of the kingdom when you come to God acknowledging that you need him and we go through the proper steps. Yes. It reminds me of James 4 and verse 10, which says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. It's that same concept that we come to him for and in need. And there's a blessing, there's a reward. You're, we get the kingdom and it says he will raise us up, he will lift us. Right. James 4.10 says, if we come humbly to the Lord, that he will lift us up. And that is the same concept, the same idea, right? Let's see. Um, so, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Pat. Exactly. This, this is coming. Now, now Jesus is teaching... A lot of the things he's teaching, we're going to see later on, are from the law. But this, like it's, like we said, this is kind of upside down backwards to them. This is not what they're used to hearing. So it's for his audience, this is really new to them. Well, the thing is, everything was black and white in the law. I'm not sure to say it right. It was a certain way, and they didn't think of the compassion or the need and so on and so forth that went with them. Right. The way they followed the law was very black and white. You, I think you said it correctly. That's They followed it very black and white. You're either doing it or you're not. And that's it. You know, There's no in-between, no nothing else, right? Um, so I was looking at, just as an example of this humility, if, if, what? I was just thinking, if you keep in mind, it wasn't just Jews, it was Gentiles. 
Right. They were Gentiles, not just Jews, but they were Gentiles too. Right. No, he's not doing that, at least not at this point. Later, he's going to make some references. Right. But this is this is the start out. Right. So anyway, the example I was thinking of was Luke 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 13, where the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, just as an example of that humility where we know we're a sinner. We don't deserve anything, but we come to God, you know, begging for that mercy. And it's just sincere, heartfelt humility. There's no fake show or anything like that to it. Does anybody have anything else on this beatitude before we move forward? All right. Okay. So the second one, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Now in this context, what are we mourning or why do we mourn? For our sins, right? That's that's a very good one. We mourn for our sin. Yes. Yeah. I'm not sure if there is much context. And he's just saying if you're of that mournful spirit, then that's good in a way, because then you'll be in a position to be blessed by God. Well, I think of it as the context of he's teaching these people. You know, the he's giving them the foundation of the Christian life. So that's that's how that's the context I'm thinking of. And so when we're we're mourning, we're not just going to be mourning over just anything, but we would be mourning over sin. We would, uh, you know, we would have that regret and repent to God. And again, that humility, we would have that humility from the previous. Yes, man. I certainly would disagree with that, but I guess I'm thinking even if someone lost a loved one in their mourning would be the way we'd often think of it. And they're in a position to be comfortable. Well, and there is, uh, I mean, I, there is that idea too that, uh, let's see, um, I think we're just, let me look down here. Anyway, but there is this idea too of mourning, yes, mourning for the things of this world, not, no, that's wrong, not mourning for the things of this world. Mourning for other people and their sorrows and their sadness and the hard things they go through too, right? But, uh, but initially, immediately, I really, really think it pertains more to this mourning and realizing that we have sin. Yes. I was thinking just in general, a loss. Uh, if you, your crop didn't do well, maybe the road Right. We can, we mourn for a lot of reasons, right? Well, yeah, we, we mourn for family, friends, things that have lost or didn't work out, plans that didn't work out, a lot of things. Um, but this is also, I think this is talking about, you know, godly sorrow that brings us to take action, right? Yes, Eddie. Another thing, too, especially in this day and age, I think there's a lot of mourning from Christians on the state of the world and the things that are going on in the world. That yep. That seems to be something we can't seem to stop, like abortion and some of the other things. Right. We mourn because we can't, we haven't been able to stop those things as of yet. Right. We mourn for the things we see in the world that we know are wrong and that are harmful. People are harming themselves. We talk about it, and maybe it sounds like we're being judgmental, but 
The reason I talk about things like abortion and all these unnecessary surgeries where they think they can change their sex is because it's hurting them. I'm not talking about it because I have anything against them. I, these things are hurtful to that person. And we just don't want them to experience that. So there's all kinds of reasons, but, but we mourn for those things that we see in society. That's true. So, but uh, this, this is a godly type of sorrow is what I was getting at. This is, it's not a selfish sorrow, you know, where we're just sorry that we, we lost something personally or something like that. It's, it's not that we just want to get something. Uh, we want to be right with the Lord. And, you know, for our part, we appreciate his sacrifice and we regret our sinful part. You know, we have even songs that refer to our sin being part of the reason that Jesus was crucified, right? So we mourn for that. And the word for mourn in the Greek, it's a very strong, it's a strong word. The word we see here, it, it means to lament and grieve over, to wail in sorrow, to really be sad. It's an extreme feeling of sadness, of sorrow. Now, too, if you'll notice the second half, like Pat was saying earlier, there's kind of two parts. If you'll notice, when we repent, we shall be comforted. But how are we comforted? Or if you want to just say when we mourn, how are we comforted? You could say there's a number of different ways, but I was looking at this really in a very specific way. And we are forgiven, right? We are forgiven. God forgives us. And he helps us in our time of need, too. But the word for comforted here, it means to be encouraged, to like be invited to be near in a good, positive way. We're strengthened and instructed. It's a... Uh, it's our Heavenly Father forgiving us. He's drawing us to Him. He's encouraging us and teaching us. And it's a positive interaction. Even though it's driven by that godly sorrow, it is a positive interaction with God for us. So, and this beatitude does also imply that we are sensitive to others. We mourn with their sorrows and their hurts. I couldn't find it a minute ago, but... We mourn the condition of society and for the lost people in it. And again, this is, you know, it's a deep and heartfelt thing. If we look at the example or unexample of the promise of comfort in Second Chronicles uh, chapter 7, verse 14, God says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now we know that was specific to Israel at that time and in that place, but if we roll that forward and just think of God having that same attitude to all his people, if we turn from our sinful ways, he will hear and forgive us. That's what repentance is all about. And again, this is godly sorrow from the heart. It's not just not for ourselves and, and really... Um, but it's also for others and their sins and their troubles as well. Does anybody have anything else on that beatitude? All right. So if we look at the third one, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What is meek? I was probably the humble one, not sure that that's I used to think that too, and that's that. I think it's built on humility, but it's not exactly. No, humility. I, I can't. 
It's like Jesus was. Right. But yes. Then, how do you explain that? I can't explain. Okay. All right. <laughs> Matt? Some other translations say humble or lowly. And I think I've heard it described as strength under control. Where you? Oh, strength you under control. Strength, That's a good. You're, but you're not using all that. You're just being humble. That's good. Now, some translations will say gentle. They will just write out say gentle, not not meek. They will say I saw that. Yes. Not easily provoked and having a calm temperament. That's really good. That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, it means quiet, gentle, and submissive. So we want to understand that's submissive, and that's submissive to God, right? That's not, and and we do put others first too, but. First, it has to do with our submission to God. We submit to him to do his will, to follow Jesus, and we do not put ourselves first. We listen to and obey God. So we accept, you know, the Lord is our teacher, guide, master, and king. We submit to his rule in our lives. And this can mean, you know, humbly accepting a role in God's kingdom, maybe something that we wouldn't really choose out of our own preference, but... Uh, it also has to do with how we kindly deal with others, putting others first ahead of ourselves, again, being kind, gentle. And then this meekness requires a lot of self-control, like Matt was saying, strength under, um, what was that word? Under control. Under control. Okay, so anyway, so uh, to not do what we want or act as we want or to follow our wishes or heart instinctively, which might lead us into trouble, but to follow God in everything, <laughs> not letting emotion rule us in bad ways. And uh, a couple examples, James chapter 4, verse 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. But notice he says submit to God first, right? We have to submit to God. And Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Again, I think Matt mentioned lowliness is associated with this. Lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Yes? Kind of imagine an idea where a really important, powerful person like the president or the governor or someone is maybe incognito, right? Interviewing people on the street about themselves. And some people are maybe saying bad things about them, not realizing it's them, but that person's just taking it in and taking the advice and listening instead of like, I'm the governor! Yeah, so okay. Like strength under control idea. That way. Yeah, that would be an interesting concept of someone. And there were there have been rulers, I think, that have done this in the past, and maybe not all of them were good, but where they go incognito and then they ask people what they think about you know the, themselves without people really knowing it's them they're talking to, and you know, and not reacting harshly to them if they get bad uh, a bad review. We'll say, Donna. Right. Being meek, it does need to be a genuine part of our heart, right? And, and the, well, anyway, but yes, it does. It needs to be a genuine part of us. And, uh, that's all of these do need to be genuine characteristics in our hearts, which we will get by being, you know, baptized, receiving the Holy Spirit, by studying the Word, by learning over time. It's not all going to be an instantaneous change for us, but, um, 
So what is the reward for this meekness? We, yes. We inherit the earth, right? So we inherit the earth. That, to me, now you can look at this probably maybe some other ways as well, but this gives us a better life here on earth now. I think anytime you're following God, you're going to have a better life, regardless of the trials and tribulations. You're going to have trouble with or without him. You might as well have him with you, right? So, the you know, it gives you the best life on earth here that you can have here, but gives you absolutely the best, best life, the best life you will ever have eternally with God on that new earth in that city that he promises. Did you have something, Donna? No? Okay. It also implies that we receive a firm standing ground, a place to stand on, if you understand the, the idea of having a good, solid standing ground, not, not like the ocean, which the ocean was considered kind of evil and scary, right? It was considered the abyss. So you're not there, but you have a safe, firm place of land to be on, part of the idea. So this, this is meanness of heart, gentleness, kindness of heart, and placing others before ourselves, not honoring ourselves. Does anybody have anything on that before we go to the next one? I just think humble. Right, and, and it's built on humility, because we have to be humble, right? It's built on that humility. Um, but it also has to do with kindness and, you know, that kind of thing, gentleness. So, our fourth beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So first to understand, what is righteousness? What are we looking for? Things that are right. Right. Things that are right. Right stand in with God, right? Right living, right? Living, right? And who, who determines that? That's God, right? He determines what's right and what's right living correct? And so it's a state of being in good standing before God. Oh, yes, Pat? I was going to say, there's specific when we first are hungry and thirsty after. I'm sorry? It's very specifically telling us what we're supposed to be hungry and thirsty for. Yes, it, yes, it is. And I'm just trying to define that so we understand what we are hungry and thirsting for, right? It's so... You know, we seek what is right and good and true and just in the eyes of God, not what I, what I think is right. I might think something's right and just be totally off and left field, you know, but we're going by what God thinks is right. Yes? Well, he gave us this word that is righteousness, and we should hunger and thirst after that word. Yes. And learn what he wants from us through that word. Right, through his word. We should be hungering and thirsting for God and coming to him through his word and and getting that right, getting that righteousness through his word. Um, so basically it just means we want a desire to be right. We have a desire to be right with God. We want to follow his ways and seek justice and moral perfection in ourselves and really in society as well. Yes. Yeah, we do see a lot of people who are chasing wealth. They are seeking that wealth more than God, right? Did you have something, Donna? I see a lot of people who say, I just can't understand the Bible. Well, this verse right here says, yes, you can. You just got to try. Right, right. You really just have to try. 
That's all you have to do is spend some time in the Bible and uh, make an effort. Yes, ma'am? It kind of makes you think about, you know, I guess the obvious hunger and thirst would be for food and drink, right? So right. Um, that's not what it's about. But it makes me think of, of especially in the first century and in different times and different places even today where following God is, is going to really get you persecuted and you're not going to have the things you need. And that might be the case, but we're still going to be satisfied. Of course, we would like eternal things rather than food and drink, right? Or, or wealth or whatever. Right. And if we, if we pursue God, right, we will be satisfied because he would not turn us down. Yes, Pat? Right. He promised her that he promised to basically fulfill her thirst, you know, with water that would never end, right? The living water. So he was promising her the living water. Yes, ma'am? There's that song we sing in our book, uh, As the Deer, and it's from Psalm 42, which is the same idea. As the deer pants for the water brooks, right. so my soul pants for you, O God. So right. The As the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you. Yes. Come all you who are thirsty, come to the water. If you have no money, come buy and eat. And says they don't need any money. It's right. And that's Isaiah 55, where he says, uh, all come to the water. Is that right? Because there's a similar, all who are thirsty. There's a similar verse that I have, and it's actually like from Revelation. But yeah, there is a similar. Yes, yeah, seek the Lord while he may be found. Because once Jesus comes back, that's it's done. Game over. May I share something? Yes. Uh, when you're anger and thirst, you just, I think of wanting to go to, to the meetings that other churches have and all. And uh, I had just went to a couple we had. And uh, my sister-in-law tells me, that I'm chasing after God trying to find religion. <laughs> so, you know, people people have the funniest, strangest ideas sometimes. So I was chasing after God trying to find religion. That's what she said. So she said, you're chasing after God trying to find religion. I, I don't even understand that statement, but okay. Yeah. It's confusing for me. I don't understand, but Okay. Well, I believe if you're chasing after God, you're doing a good thing, and and you will find Him. He wants to be found. Yes. Yes, that should be a good thing. So, yeah. All right. So, um, I think our well, let me let me do this. Um. Part of what I wanted to talk about with this was, you know, what does it what does it mean to hunger? What does it mean to thirst, really? You have a need for it. Right. You have a need for it, right? You're missing that and you really need it. Especially hunger. Now you can go hungry for a few days, right? But you can't go without water very long. No hunger and thirst after after God. Right? So we're talking yeah, so if you're hungering and thirsting after God. We should be craving, really desiring, really wanting this relationship. Did you? I was going to say we need to desire. Right. 
as his child, we should have this earnest desire. Just like we need food and water, we should be chasing, pursuing God every day, just like we need food and water, the same. Well, yeah, I know. I, I can't, but anyway, it, it's a daily requirement for our spiritual lives is where I was going and what I was thinking of with those things. Yes. Right, desiring the word like a newborn baby, yeah, right. So, um, I think I'm going to stop there, and we'll pick up with the rest of this. Uh, I guess it'll be Sunday morning. I start to say next week. So, but thank you all for your time and your attention.